You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because it seemed easier than finishing up this first draft. Mm, yeah. I'm Kat Sebastian. I'm Alexandra Rowland. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. I'm Rowena Miller. And this is episode 20, when two wizards love each other very much. Sebastian, welcome to the podcast. We are so glad to have you. Hi. Welcome, welcome. Hi. So when we were planning this episode, we were like, all right, so we want to talk about like sex in world building. And I'm going to like have a little argument uh, at the top of the episode here about what we mean by sex. Uh, but we were like, who, we should have a guest for that episode, and who better to talk about sex with us than a romance author? And I love Cat Sebastian's books a lot. And so here you are. Thank you for coming. Would you like to like introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your amazing book? Sure. Um, I write queer historical romance novels. Um, I, th- I was trying to kill earlier today, and I think that book 12 is about to come out this spring. Oof. And yes, my most of them take place in the early 1800s in England. Some are a bit further afield. But they all have on-page sex, which I guess makes me the expert here. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the sex expert, if right. you will. <laughs> is, just warn me now, is this just going to be a deeply pun-filled episode? I mean, just so I can steal myself. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the only way to talk about sex without it being horribly awkward is to make it about puns. I can accept that. I don't have any children myself. I think... I think all of you have children. Did you did you take the opportunity? Well, Marshall is the only one who has children old enough to be having the sex talk with them. Did you like give him a lot of dad jokes in the sex talk? I feel like no. that would vastly improved the experience. No, no, because we never had like a like singular like here is the talk sort of thing. Like yeah. it was rather just sort of like we were always very open about anything. Like literally. The, the question, Santa Claus isn't real, is he? And what's a blowjob? <laughs> we're on the same day. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a precocious child. Amazing. Yes. Listen, my daughter is seven, so we're just watching a lot of nature documentaries, and that's really taking care of a lot of questions just on it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so cool. It's a fun introduction. Which, but again, like, if you never make it, like mystifying then then it doesn't make like any of the conversations i mean the conversation is always gonna be a little awkward but you can save yourself a lot of the awkwardness by not making it here's this big mysterious hidden thing that that we're not going to talk about until later right and so yeah we're we're getting into some juicy stuff, and I definitely want to come back to this later. In the <laughs> but yeah, we are like, jumped on like Kat's cultural intro. <laughs> attitudes around sex and yes. everything. Let's so let's put a pin in that and come back. Uh, before we get to that, we have a really cool announcement. Uh, who wants to be the one to talk about our cool announcement? Marshall, go for it. Marshall, do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got volunteered. So we will be appearing collectively. All three of us yes! live and in person in the same place at DFWCon in Dallas Fort Worth. Uh, it is a conference that is it is a full on writing conference. It's not it is not genre specific. It is for mm. all genres. It is the sort of conference it is it is definitely a craft and business of writing kind of conference where they have agents and you pit, get the chance to pitch to agents which and will be there to give talks on craft and to record two live episodes while we're there yes it's two going to be not one but two two live episodes yeah. while we're there so it's going to be if you can sign up for dfw con it is, it is a great little writer's company i did it in 2011 it was not how i got my agent but i found it a very worthwhile experience when i went so if you have the means and wherewithal, I do recommend it. And you'll get to see all three of us. And we'll yeah. get to see all three of us, which will be a new experience. Which will be very cool. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, I am just sort of, like, 
flattered but baffled about why they would ask three nerds like us. I guess it's great that we've conned people into believing that we're smart with this podcast to the point where they will invite us to conventions and let us record two live episodes in front of their thousands of guests. So, or at least hundreds of guests. <laughs> Dozens, at least. <laughs> Dozens, maybe, maybe like four people will come to our podcast recording. I was going to say, hundreds is probably, probably not likely but but dozens i think we could get dozens i think we could score i think we could score in the dozens <laughs> in the dozens great well i'm looking forward to it so let's jump right into the sex position yes there we go pause for applause <laughs> thank you there's the title and, and, and of course i feel like like cat we should warn you it seems like almost every episode we end up talking about sex in some way or another which i think just speaks to how much sex permeates yes everything else we've talked about culture families religion yeah. i mean all kinds of stuff so i i feel like this yeah. is a watershed episode but it's also a we've t- we've we've brushed against it many times Right. So what do we mean by sex? Are we talking about like the physical act or are we talking about also um, sex and gender? I think those are two wildly different things. And I think the latter is probably its own episode. It is. I I agree. I think that we we should absolutely absolutely have that episode. Yeah. Yeah. So just like the, and it's not even like just the act of reproduction. It's also like the act of we're bored on a Tuesday and we we don't have the technology to start a world building podcast. <laughs> God, I'm full of jokes this episode. Great. Great, great, great. So, how do how does a culture think about sex? Like where do you even start with that? Well, of course, every culture is going to have some element of what their sexuality is Im- embedded within the culture cuz Except for those few, like, weird cults that rose up that, like, made it like nobody's going to have sex. And then the cult dies out in a generation. Because <laughs> no one's like, having sex. Like, like the Shakers. We had the Shakers. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, you kind of have to have that embedded within the, you know, within how your society works. Or you have no society after 20 some odd years. So I think that in 2020, we've reached some kind of society that sex is two or more people getting off together. Okay. And that might feel obvious to us, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that masturbation was sex, right? And and like there were all the same taboos that Mm -hmm. that are that were in place for other kinds of sex were in place for masturbation, Um, and it also wasn't that long ago that people debated whether oral sex was sex or whether you know hand jobs are sex or anything like that mm-hmm. so there's so there's a range or there can be a range in how and it's you don't have you don't have to assume that it's any configuration right. of people getting off here right right we're, yeah. we're so, not talking strictly about penetrative sex or as or heteronormative right. sex god forbid as the only kind of sex that we're talking about right or sex that is just plural people like there can be singular person sex as well uh which also like has a whole lot of cultural baggage that comes with it um especially in historical settings uh which may overlap with a fantasy setting as well um so i feel like sex is often used to be kind of like an avatar yeah of i totally agree two characters yes. and their relationship to each other yes and i and i yeah. think a lot yeah. of times the kind of work that that a lot of us are writing um that that relational element of sex is is a huge part of what of what we're writing about right and there's part of that that mm-hmm. is our own culture um how we understand sex there's also part of it that is in just kind of like the the tradition of of like literature part of part of the storyline is two people getting together frequently so part of that is also i think a kind of expectation of of genre and of story and narrative which is kind of a funny thing to think about like in conjunction with how is your culture defining sex in a fantasy world and then how are you going to write it in into a narrative format that people understand right because unless you're writing something that is explicitly to be porn you tend to only use sex in your narrative as 
as a way to show character and like the same way you would use like an action scene or any other like emotional connection scene so you unless you're writing a thing where the explicitness is necessarily the point you don't tend to get too graphic about things and thus i mean almost never i can't think of a single like fantasy novel i've ever read that's had a masturbation scene because that's almost never a now you now two it's, might now have it's read a challenge like pondering faces you, you both made the face but like i can't think of that off the top of my head because that tends not to be about how two characters interact you know that can reveal a, a lot about a singular character yeah. i mean in romance I, I feel like i've written a masturbation scene like i feel like in romance novels they're they're i'm not going to say common because they're really not but yeah. they do happen because you're showing how a character interacts not with not with the other character necessarily but with their own sexuality and with like how they navigate that idea and it might be it might be the kind mm-hmm. of book where you want to make it sexy but it yeah. would be like narratively it makes no sense to have the two characters together before 80% of the way through or whatever. Right. Well, and it, and it certainly can can illustrate, you know, what what is desire to this character and what is desirable uh-huh. and what is, you know, yeah, so I think I can definitely see that and I can certainly see that being an avenue in fantasy. Um especially playing with the idea of desire and desirability and and yeah. Or you can make mm-hmm. it about like the character's cultural baggage as well, like how do they relate to like Kat talked about their relationship to their sexuality and that includes I think a lot of like what the culture has sort of imposed on them like how comfortable do they feel with both the act of doing it and also the sort of things that they're thinking about um so you can do a lot of world building actually with the masturbation scene I think it would be really cool to do so but Marshall's point was that we don't see it very often which is absolutely true because I'm having a hard time thinking in fantasy novels specifically about examples where I've seen it done. I think probably in the Kushiel's uh, Dart books by um, uh, Jacqueline Carey. Because mm-hmm. those have a lot of like sexy world building in them. But yeah, it's definitely not something that gets a lot of attention. And I think that especially in sort of the modern generation of fantasy, we have kind of adopted a reactionary stance where we don't talk about sex very much in fantasy worlds because I think for a while there was a reputation in fantasy that it was kind of pulpy and kind of trashy and old white men were writing a lot of like (laughs) hot girls in skimpy bikinis fighting dragons and getting boned right and and so we're we're I feel like the modern generation of fantasy is trying to elevate itself and thereby rejecting the idea of sex, which is not really mm-hmm. the point. Like A lot of like, books nowadays tend to be very, like, fade to black after some kissing. But, yeah. I mean, there are some exceptions. Yeah. Like, um, with Jade City, Fonda Lee, like, yes. when it got to a sex scene that was like, oh, this is... This is a lot more explicit than I was expecting to to occur here because just right. because I I think my expectations had been coded by by what you're talking about that that we've yeah I, I don't necessarily say we've become more repressed as a genre but we've certainly I think it is like you said an, an attempt to elevate it yeah. which yeah. well and and I think it's Alex is absolutely right that um, it, fantasy does have a kind of yakky history of objectification as part of mm-hmm. how we write sex. And so I think that that is an interesting, you know, like th- there are certainly ways to write sex while still rejecting that yeah. objectification. Um, and, and it is really interesting that that was something that I think was a default because again, that reflected the kind of cultures that were being written in these fantasy works that yeah. were, you know, extremely patriarchal and very gender um, stratified. And, and it, it's, it's interesting that that, that default, that, Shoes don't presume. That was definitely a presume that that all came packaged together in this neat little bundle yeah. of um, yik that we're still, I think, unpacking and untangling a little bit. Yeah. Although I think that the I think that the tide might be starting to turn back 
because you have started to get a few examples like uh, Fonda Lee's book, uh, which Marshall mentioned, or uh, K.M. Sparrow's Docile, which just came yes. out what, last week, I think, um, which is very, very sex-heavy uh, sci-fi. Um, so I think we might be turning back to it. There's Marshall the Hunt. thing that is my current work in progress, so I'm going to have to say oh, in my yeah. book. I've, in your book? <laughs> in my book. The one that I'm writing won't come out for a year, but oh, like I have been pushing my own boundaries and challenging my preconceptions and doing, like every time I'm starting to write a sex scene, I am, you know, looking at it with, with that lens of like, like as, is this just being weird and creepy and male gazy or things mm-hmm. like that? And I've been really striving, especially in a choose versus presume level to challenge every presumption that I've been coming out with, with the, like in the society I'm writing, I'm making a point of making bisexuality or pansexuality the norm. I'm making a point of, you know, that the idea that you don't just necessarily pair off monogamously, that, that, mm-hmm. that for most of the characters, a non-monogamous connection is the, is the more common thing societally. And then with that, all sorts of little things about like language that I like will realize that like I started to use bastard as an insult. I'm like, no, these people would never use it because they don't care about yeah. like, oh, your your parentage is this. So that's like just would not be an insult to them. But it was it's been a it's been a very hard process for me to 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 do this because yeah. I, I think I've been coming at it with this more small c conservative viewpoint of how i'm supposed to be writing about sex and how it gets perceived because i am an old straight white man and that's you know (laughs) that's baggage that's not gonna go away anyway though marshall (laughs) i try to be one of the decent ones i mean i really do try like like it's a good and healthy thing to like put yourself through that learning process and like really put yourself in a position where you have to examine those assumptions. Yes. What, what, what Marshall said about, um, about bastard not being like in the world that you're creating, like bastard wouldn't be an insult. Well, so many of our insults and our profanities are sex related. Right. And so like, if you're, if you're creating a world where like promiscuity isn't, thing like it just doesn't exist you know like that yeah that takes away a a whole vocabulary right of like what you like what what you call somebody when you're mad at them right or like what you say when you're really mad um also just the yeah can you even use the word fuck right like fuck no there's no (laughs) No, there's no way that is that is yeah that is a very thing like you can use i have people use it when they're specifically talking about like having sex when they're saying like yeah do you want to fuck right now in my where i'm like like somebody saying like oh the sheer fucking hubris of it i'm like wait no that doesn't work <laughs> right. so i yeah. i've had to like reprogram my brain with every time that that's my instinct of how to write it speaking back around to what you were saying about um bastard not working um i mean obviously sex and reproduction are entwined in in many ways yes but you know that that does come back around to the norms of sex and a family and how those two things interact and one question i actually had um that made me think of a question for cat that i know you're writing a lot of kind of regency era um romance but you're writing um queer romance and how how do you navigate the weird expectations of um a culture that's kind of set up in a certain patriarchal way and then how do you how do you play with that when writing so if I'm, I, first of all, I try to put the fo- the focus on like a found family type of, like the happy ending usually involves a found family, like a group of people who are, like there's the couple, but there's also like a, a community of people because I think that that's, that is really satisfying, I think, like that is a, ha- a happy queer thing to yes. see, you know, like that's, but, and yeah, that's one of my favorite things about your books, actually. I think that, you know, like queer people have a history of this, right? A, a history of found family. And so seeing mm-hmm. that on page is really like validating. And like, that is the saddest, that is like the church bells and white dresses, like of the, of like the queer happy ending, I think. Not that not that queer people don't also want church bells and white dresses but like that I think that gives that like gives that like it puts the it puts the bow on it right um 
Yeah. It is. It's yeah. like emotionally and that's, that's how I and that's that's how I, yeah. I I feel when I'm putting that that final act together, right? And so if I'm writing a, right. a same sex couple and marriage is out of the picture, that's what I'm focused on. Focus on the, the resolution of the of that couple's relationship that the reader knows that these two people are getting what they need from one another and that they're going to be able to like self-actualize in this relationship. If I'm writing a couple mm-hmm. that is able to get married in the laws of the day, then it's a different discussion. Then it is like, are we going to do this? Like, and I try to make it so that it is a an actual conversation that, like, it's, an, it's not a foregone conclusion because like that I... Right. That idea of like marriage in a time when birth control isn't reliable just seems like really. I want that to be negotiated. Like I want both parties to go into that knowing what. Yeah. Knowing what they're getting themselves into. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have a question, um, which is in okay. um, really frequently I think in kind of modern Western society when we think about a long-term sexual partnership of any kind we're thinking about a lot of things wrapped up in that we tend to wrap up Mm. domestic partnership we tend to wrap up to some degree like financial partnership um we tend to wrap up Mm -hmm. um that's also your best friend it's someone that you may raise kids with and i think that you can really put a challenge to that in fantasy writing by just by saying who has sex with whom and what's normal and even within long-term relationships what's normal are all those things necessarily normal? And we talked about last week, um, Kat, yeah. in our episode where we just kind of bullshitted um, a piece of world building that we had 13, this 13 families country that we came up with, um, that their marriage was financial and their sexual partners were someone completely different. Just kind of thinking about like, what are other ways that looking into who, like literally who is pairing up and how, how does that play out? what what are the what are the normal expectations when you do pair up with someone because even informal relationships now here and now there is at least a degree of unspoken expectation that one can be considered you know breaking the unspoken contract if you go around that like people are saying that they don't necessarily have exclusivity with uh, with their partner mm-hmm. when they don't necessarily have that explicit conversation but there is that expectation unless you have that conversation a lot of the times. Right, right. Like it gets into this like really tangly thing about like, oh, well, we've been seeing each other for five months and I thought that meant that we were exclusive, but actually this person had totally different ideas of where we were at and has been still dating other people. And am I wrong for feeling a way about that? Or are they in the wrong? And yeah, it becomes this whole complicated messy issue because of all of these like sort of cultural rules that we've imposed on ourselves and the very difficult sort of tightrope walk that you're expected to do to navigate through those and it's messy and bad do a communication you guys just talk about it well and i feel like part of it is because culturally we feel like dating has an end game right like for a right. very long time yeah you know in our history it's you like are the, going the through escalator. a dating process to end up yeah. with a person to the end goal to a happily ever after kind of situation and that's i mean that, that doesn't have to work that way right i have a someone i know who has been dating someone for like 15 years and they don't live together and the first time that i met them and and heard about this i was a little bit sort of surprised because like they're in love and they're like completely committed to each other they're completely monogamous but they just don't want to live together and this was surprising to me because of how much we expect that a long-term relationship will involve that joining your households together and like being in the same place rather than living across the city from each other and maintaining two different households well i think part of that is because it when we hear about an arrangement like that, it subverts like the like the implicit thing that we think all long term relationships are supposed yes. to be for, which is 
raising children, right? Like, even if you don't think it's supposed to be for, you know what I mean? Even if you personally do not believe that that's what relationships are Mm -hmm. for and you don't want that in your life at all. Like, we've all been, in this society, we've all been um, conditioned with the idea that that's what two people do. Like, when they fall in love, they are, like, one way or another supposed to go and acquire children and then bring them up. Like, once you take that expectation out of the picture – you are free to do so many different things with relationships, like from a world building perspective, you know, like you can now, now like you don't, maybe then you don't have the expectation Mm -hmm. that um, people are supposed to pass on their wealth and their inherited power or whatever else it is that they've got that they might want to pass on. You know, like now you have, now you've opened up all these different avenues to like what happens with people's Mm -hmm. stuff when they die. You know what I mean? Because that's like if you've if you've divorced those two those two things. Yes. Yes. I mean, it ties into everything. Um, like you said, the the inheritance and people's relationship to their material goods. Yeah, that's a really a really good point because it really does like tie into all of the things and get its fingers into things. Our listeners of ours were having a conversation on our Discord chat. <laughs> Hi, Discord they... chat. Hi, Discord chat. Hi, Discord chat. Where they were talking about arranged marriages and, and the idea was floated of like, because one of our listeners, their grandparents had very similar names because their marriage wow. was arranged before they were even born. Oh, so, wow. So they were thus named with like the male, masculine and feminine versions of the same name because... Huh. Yeah, because wow. that was because they were going to be married, but that decision was made before they were born, before the parents actually knew the gender of their children, because this was yeah. before that was a thing you could learn before they were actually born, which I thought yeah. was kind of a fascinating idea of like an arranged marriage done before birth that's like doesn't care what the gender or or sexual orientation of your children are like you had two heterosexual male children too bad they're getting married <laughs> too you <know>. bad <laughs> getting married <laughs> because Deal I mean, with it. in in the world of arranged marriages i mean it is usually done with a heteronormative expectation but the yeah. what you want out of this too bad is too often the case so i thought that was very interesting to sort of take that to that next level of our culture that would be fascinating actually you two are getting married and like if you add in other like weird creepy marriage things like the thing yeah. like like where like on the wedding night we're gonna watch you all have sex just to make sure you do it that's that's the thing yeah uh man i would read like two hundred thousand words of fantasy novel about two straight men who had to get arranged marriage because because their parents decided it before they were born that's fucking fantastic you i have, so I have many read that fanfic relationship like that. dynamics that is a and, fanfic that exists ooh, yeah that's chewy and good actually i like that everything is a fanfic that exists but i think that's a valid point to make is that we often use fanfic to explore those elements of especially in fantasy and in the fantasy worlds that are built yeah that we tend not to touch (laughs) upon as much in the fantasy world because oh let's not let's not mince words we're using the fanfic to fill in the holes that the author was too lazy or too much of a coward to approach right like and I totally. We were all delighted the at the same exact moment. Yeah, you did, you did it. That you said that. Oh, it was like I Christmas morning. Well. <laughs> but like, okay, so so much, so much of fanfic is about sex, right? Like, so if if you were to think, if you were to think about like five of the most common tropes in fanfic, they're all sex, like every yeah. one of them. Yeah. Okay, and they're all like only one bed. And yeah. right, only only one bed. Yep. Sex pollen, okay. All of the very sex pollen, God all of the various pollen. like fuck or die scenarios, okay. Like these are the mainstays mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, fanfic, mm-hmm. and it is so funny that like this is this is what we do in fanfic, and then like this is what we do in fantasy. Like there that there's a diff that there that there is that divide that you were talking about. Yeah. So clearly, it's a it's a a hunger that the audience has. Like the audience wants to read yes. about these things. So why are we not? providing that to them and i think i think it's getting 
better like like as i said because you have this whole new generation of writers coming up um of which i think that i'm sort of like towards the beginning of the wave but uh in the next 10 years or so everyone who's coming out with a fantasy novel will have written fanfic i swear oh yeah and like just get used to get used to more like delicious tropes in your fantasy novels guys because they're coming they're coming (laughs) i mean one should be comfortable setting whatever tone you want to set within your fantasy novel if you want to if you want to keep it pg-13 just because that's what you want to write rather than oh no it doesn't necessarily mean that you're harboring some deep repression of things that you you refuse to say but yeah you definitely there there is a sense of like most mainstream fantasy tries to keep it pg-13 on the whole and then Mm -hmm. you get you get your game of thrones which gets a little bit too male gazy and then that translated to even more so on, on on the tv show i'm really happy with the witcher right now the witcher is like being being sexy without making it too weird yeah um and like i have seen some people like doing quotes from the novel and like one that i saw recently i haven't read any of the novels yet but i saw this quote on twitter and now i very much want to where apparently in one of the books, which were published like 20 years ago or so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20, 30 in years ago? Yeah. Polish? In yes. Polish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's this scene, apparently, where this female character who's a member of like a, a mercenary squad or something has gotten pregnant and she's thinking about getting an abortion. And the scene is between several of her male companions who are all talking to each other and she's not in the scene. And they're saying... If she, you know what? I think that she should be able to get an abortion if she wants to. And they are all arguing with each other because they think that all of the rest of them will be dicks about it. And they all <laughs> actually have the same opinion that she should be allowed to get an abortion if she wants to. And then they're like, but it's her decision. And if she decides to keep the child, then we'll all be good collective dads to it. Which <laughs> is like a piece of great fem- feminism that you don't really expect from a book that was published 20, 25 years ago in Polish. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's definitely something that is... Especially in, like, a fantasy novel where, like, yeah. the idea of of an abortion in a fantasy novel is... I don't think I've ever seen that, bro. I don't think so. Yeah. I've seen ones yeah. where it's like, like, you know, drink this potion and, and, and don't worry about it. Right. I've seen a lot more of, like, these are the steps we're taking to get pregnant because we have to, rather than the opposite. Yeah, where but there were actually like methods of birth control uh, in the pre-industrial oh, yeah. area. We should talk about some of them. Those are good world-building things. One of my yes. favorite ones is I'm sure you know about this is that plant that the Romans had, which was apparently so effective and convenient of a birth control that they it was like a little heart-shaped seed that you would eat. And oh. it was apparently so effective that they <laughs> I uh, over-harvested it to extinction, and now we don't have it anymore. <laughs> did you know about this? This is really, this is really <laughs> sad. <laughs> this took a sad turn. I, yeah, it is really sad. <laughs> Sorry. There was, it's I also mean, there funny, was something though. else that was common in in Central Asia and South Asia of like that yeah. was used a lot as like you know sprinkle this on your food you won't get pregnant but really it was like destroying your uterus but right like just a gentle poison yeah. just keep you gently <laughs> yeah. poisoned at all times <laughs> which kind of works i mean that's what penny royal does as well penny royal penny was royal. a very that was it. very that was com- it. everyone knows about penny royal it's a very common abortifacient um in the pre-industrial era and that's just a gentle poison just like It'll poison you. It'll make you real sick. <laughs> and then you Sexy won't be pregnant times, anymore. Real sick. <laughs> Does anyone else have other, like, historical trivia or Well, I mean, I mean there? There, there are condoms, right? So you have preventative condoms, measures. Sure. You know, I think, which I think, I don't, you know, now that I think of it, I don't know that I've ever run across that in a fantasy novel. Even though there oh, are. Cool. There are. It's not strictly a fantasy novel. It is Neil Stevenson behemoth. The Baroque cycle? Yeah, that's it. The Baroque cycle. He has a lot of people, like putting sheep intestines over penises yeah. to, to, to work as 
to work as uh, as condoms in, in in that book. So that's that's that happens a lot in that book. Here's here's another cool fun fact that I know. I'm just gonna give you all my trivia now, and I won't have anything left over for the end of the episode, <laughs> which happens every fucking time. In the pre-industrial era, they're not making condoms out of sheep intestines. They're making condoms out of a particular part of the pig intestine because it had like every pig has one place in its intestine where there's this little sort of <laughs> the perfect spot there's this like perfect spot where it sh- forms this little dead end um, where it has this little tube with a dead end that sort of goes off one part of its intestine and there's a name for it i forget what it is so like you can take that part and it's apparently perfectly cock shaped <laughs> And, I mean, is like, it like do... the equivalent of the appendix? Because the appendix, sort of, kind of, yes, does actually, that. Sort it sounds, of. sounds like a big <laughs> a condom bit, appendix. Yeah. That's and so like you you cut off that bit of the the intestine, and like I said, there's only one per pig, so they're very expensive. And you like wash it and process it and like peel off the outer membrane. Uh, and because it's so expensive, when you use it. You take it off, you wash it out, you hang it up to dry, and then you use it again, which does not make it really an effective STD prevention at all, but it'll keep you from getting pregnant. That is a thing you should investigate within your your world building is, are there STDs in your world, and and what is the, what does that mean specifically in in your world? Like, like are, are STDs magical? Like, what's, I mean, oh, what is that book? In magical STDs. <laughs> I want to hear more about the magical STDs. Like, wait, like, like back that up. <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's a Cat Valenti book where being able to get to this magical city, you can only do it if you have sex with somebody who's been to the magical city. So essentially it is, it is a oh, magical amazing. STD. Is that palimpsest? Yes, oh. I think it is. Yeah. In a weird way, it is this magical STD that you get access to a thing so like maybe that can that's be incredible. like that's how that's how you gain magical ability in in a world is <laughs> you have to have sex with somebody who has magical that's fucking great that's also very very good man we're just like full of great ideas tonight my god wow um yeah so i think also like stds tie into reasons why sex might become taboo right yes because like as we like as a culture develops we're trying to control the parts of life that are unpleasant and and contain them and one of the ways to contain them is like if you don't want stds to spread wildly then what do you do you either give them effective ways of preventing it or you have a cultural baggage that says like sex is dirty and you should save sex for marriage because then you won't be having sex with everybody and we have a way of like culturally controlling the spread of, of diseases. And admittedly, you know, if, if you're looking at a, a time period where say you get syphilis and you degenerate horribly and end up, you know, blind and dying, it kind of makes sense why you'd have some baggage attached to it. Yeah. Like I think we often talk about baggage as though, you know, these people were um, like dumb or inferior in some way. I don't think we mean that at all. You know, we just kind of mean there are ways of dealing with some, you know, really true, awful things that can happen. And, yeah. and one of them is nasty. <laughs> like if you look at the book of Leviticus in the Bible, it is mm. the book of Leviticus is just this list of shit you shouldn't do. And it makes life incredibly boring because it's all the fun stuff. But well, it's like, also, it, like, it also it's mixed fibers. It is also like a <laughs> mixed fibers is the best. <laughs> but it's also I'm kink shaming like, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> but it is also like if you follow these rules, that's a relatively effective way to not get sick because uh-huh. you're not doing a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that'll not get sick, which is why that list of rules became popular in in Jerusalem at the time. It's like, well, they're off having their orgies, but then they all get syphilis and die. Right. And these people are, their life is no fun, but at least they survived. No, yeah. Like, like you're absolutely right. This is a, a guide to how to live when you are a person living in the middle of the fucking desert um, without access to refrigeration or modern medicine, right? Like, right. Like, is it Leviticus that says... 
that has the rules for kosher or i don't think yes yes okay so like so you have all the the things you're not allowed to eat like shellfish right which you're like why which i always say it only takes it would only take one person dropping dead of anaphylaxis in front of you Uh to be like don't eat that uh, yeah god doesn't want us to eat that (laughs) yeah like do you know how quickly shellfish goes bad in the heat if you don't have access to ice and refrigeration so fucking fast also pork right like if you're in the middle of the desert and you don't know how someone has processed that food or how long it's been sitting out in the sun don't fucking eat it you will die so yeah like considering the cultural importance and like the cultural context of something is incredibly important because something that like doesn't quite make quote-unquote sense uh with dramatic sarcasm air quotes by the way around the word sense um in our current cultural context might have been like something that was completely reasonable and rational and good advice um in its original context also also like there's like when there's a lot of shame surrounding something like Mm -hmm. part of it is because is what you said it's the the goal is to make you not do the thing but the other goal is to make you not talk about the thing so it you know like makes it so that something distasteful is completely removed from the public sphere and that that accomplishes the goal of keeping it taboo you know and it's the self-perpetuating mm-hmm. cycle yes 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 that's a great point so then you go several generations and you have a situation where then because nobody's talked about it nobody remembers why we made this a taboo in the first place oh so then you have no culture you have no cultural memory of how you deal with the thing like if it's a disease like how you treat the disease like you've you've erased mm-hmm. knowledge like you've you've um and also, like, in, enables, like, conspiracies of silence and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do a communication. I think it's also, like, interesting um, to consider, too. Like, is the taboo completely fixed? Or is there some flexibility within the taboo? I mean, we just kind of came out of the carnival season, ending with, with Fat Tuesday, when a lot of taboos in kind of traditional Catholic cultures loosened up and people behaved in different ways than they would normally behave, um, which kind of... You know, it goes back to that that question of that is is this taboo solely meant to keep you safe, or is it also meant to kind of provide some guidelines for um, for how we understand proper behavior, even if it's not completely safe? Mm-hmm. Thinking about that, it made me think of the episode where we had our holidays and and Marshall's Mediterranean people who like the one day of the year they all go and have sex on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> And like that, you know, you can kind of play with that within a fantasy world that, you know, you have certain taboos or certain rules that um, maybe except for, you know, asterisk these days do not count. You get one free pass. Um, if you happen to meet someone in the moonlight and the crossroads, all all rules are off, you know, kind of however you play with it, you can you can reveal both the taboo and the ways that people think about about is, subverting taboo yeah. that way. I wrote a short play that takes place in the late 19-teens, right when Daylight Savings Time is first implemented, and they come up with an idea of like, oh, so it's going to be 2 a.m., and then we turn the clocks back, and it'll be 1 a.m. again. So that first 1 a.m. didn't happen. Doesn't count. (laughs) So what what we do in the first 1 a.m. doesn't count. That's funny. Oh, um, I think this is why there's like sex clubs and like sex club adjacent types of places are super popular in in a lot of fiction right Mm. it's because it's this place where you can say where well there are all of these rules in greater society but here we all collectively agree to follow a different set of rules it's the same idea as like carnival or 12th night or or whatever yeah yeah it's a liminal space basically where like like it's kind of at a one step remove from society capital s so we're getting low on time so i have a very important question for you one of the things that i'm mad about lately is how many people seem to be really bad at showcasing different sexual orientations in their work right they're just like not like they feel like oh to have a gay character in my book i have to like do this whole huge song and dance of like showing explicitly this person's orientation rather than just having it be kind of a casual thing. What are some of the ways that we can world build sort of queer identities into the culture without having to like do a whole rigmarole about it? I was going to say it's, 
I feel like there's like a, like a lot of people think that there needs to be like if you're going to have a gay character there has to be a reason for this character to be gay okay and if you go if you're going to and there really doesn't like and yes and if exactly there, and also that if you're going to have and then okay well then I'm going to have to engage with whether or not there's homophobia and then I'm going to have to show all of the struggles that this person faced and then I'm going to have to like it's going to have to be an issue book and I really don't think I'm the right person to write an issue book but like really like that's none of that needs to be done you just have to have a gay character like that's you know what I mean? Like that's that's it. Like you don't have to. Right. It doesn't have to be like the all of the burdens this marginalized character faces. Like you you could just have someone who's gay. Like that's it. Yeah. And you can yeah. just like have that's it. You can just have them reference the that's fact really that it. they're gay a few that's times. That's really it. And like they're they're gay. Great. <laughs> like right. no big deal. If it's a main character, then sure. It does not have to be the defining right. part of their right. character. Like, right. Or it's like this person's know. the mage and that's his boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like and then then uh, then we know, like, and as a part of world building, like then we know, oh, this yep. is a world where there are gay people. Yeah. Like you know, and you've accomplished you've accomplished this like really this like really broad act of inclusion like you've you've established that this is because we've all read we've all read books Mm -hmm. where it's very very clear that there are no gay people it's very clear that there are no black people it's very clear that no one in this world has ever had Mm -hmm. any kind of sex and sex may not even exist right like we've all like we've all we've all read these books and and that's that's (laughs) i don't want to say that's fine because one of those things is fine and the others aren't (laughs) you know but like (laughs) right (laughs) if you want to write if you want to write a very sex slow world i mean and i've read a couple books recently where i was like i can't like i'm i was like i swear to god these two characters are gay and the whole book was like no one had any sexuality at all it just was not a part of the story whatsoever and i was like but i want I want the representation. I want that just sort of casual, like, oh, yes, like, they have a relationship. But if you don't want to write a book where sex is an issue for anyone, like, that's totally fine. Yes. It's just <laughs> what I want to exist. And I, my, I, I, as an individual with an individual opinion. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you can do it, like, super, super casual. Super casual. But you still have to make those, those yeah. choices in your world building of, is, are queer characters, are they going to face homophobia or other forms of bigotry? So, in the Maritain books, I do have it be that homophobia exists and bigotry exists. And so, there are queer characters, but they tend to be low-key about that just because there is it is an imperfect society and that's what i'm showing whereas in the one that i'm writing right now i'm writing that pansexuality is the cultural norm so that baggage doesn't exist and even in our own worlds like the same standards and values have not been in place set in stone for all of our history like values values and attitudes that's true change and flow even from decade to decade decade to decade culture to culture culture to culture right like um one of another piece of trivia about the romans yet again tell us more about the romans okay so the romans (laughs) kind of had this attitude towards sexuality which was that casual bisexuality was just like a thing and i don't remember who wrote about this but there's a passage from one of the roman writers who was talking about his friend in this kind of this way which expressed that he thought his friend was really fucking weird for only ha- wanting to have sex with women he was like my my friend bob only wants to fuck girls and that's weird of him like he nev- he doesn't have any interest in in pretty men at all strange um which is oh, bob. which is charming <laughs> It is also worth examining on the choose versus presume level of how much of that is really a based right. on cultural expectations. How, I mean, how many adults mm-hmm. don't realize that they're until, gay or bisexual until well into yeah. their 30s or 40s or 50s because they just didn't question what they were feeling because and, of the cultural expectations? Like, that's... And it's also interesting that even though the Romans had this sort of like very casual view towards towards bisexuality, that they still did have very strict taboos about around sex. And it was kind of it was very misogynist. Basically, like the penetrated partner 
was the person who was being debased. And so, like, you can have sex with whoever you want, but as long as you are the one doing the penetrating. Because if you get penetrated, then that's bad and gross and unmanly. I I had heard that's the case in some Middle Eastern cultures as well. I I cannot confirm this with with first-hand knowledge, but the idea of, like, fucking another man, that's okay. Totally fine. Being fucked by another man... That's very bad okay. <laughs> yeah so like even within sex like there's ways to make it complicated and to like pick interesting kind of um complicated taboos and make it like more choose versus presume again like it always yeah. comes down to that right like you can get creative and weird with it yeah i mean this is obviously like a a more minor example but one thing that i often think about is um the question of age and sex mm, yeah that um, I think for a very long time we had a really, you know, kind of weird social expectation that older men could be with younger women, Mm -hmm. but older women, and that that, there was something strange about that. Or just thinking about older people, you know, meeting in their 70s or 80s and having sex or having sexual feelings was like, we don't don't talk about what? That's not something that we really think about. And it's it's kind of an interesting thing that I, I feel like we have gotten a little bit more open with that. I mean, part of it was that they had those STD outbreaks in nursing homes, and so we had to talk about it. But um, (laughs) yeah. You know, but I think that 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 thinking about how does your culture engage with the question of age and aging and sexual attraction and sexual activity and and it's just something that we've kind of bottled up quite a bit. Right. And like, what do they consider to be an appropriate age of consent? How do they feel about teenagers having sex? How do they, like you said, how do they feel about um, elderly people having sex? Like, it's this whole big messy issue. With Game of Thrones, like in the actual text of the books. Like, yeah. all those characters are, like, 13 and 14, and we tend to, to gloss over that when we're talking about the show because we cast actual adults because otherwise it would have been really creepy. But within the context of the world building, that's considered, quote-unquote, normal and was, histor- you know, historically for <laughs> get married at 13 or 14 was less abnormal. Actually, 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 I think Rowena and I are going to both actually at you. Uh, Rowena, Rowena, I feel like I've done uh, a couple. It was Rowena, not Kat, who was doing the E, right? You were both E. Yeah, we were both E. I think we were all E. We were all E. Because, like, that's actually a myth that people would commonly get married at 13 or 14. Um, Most people in the, like, medieval era. In Western Europe. We're not getting married until like 18, 19, 20, like roughly the age, yeah. like maybe slight and, in Western and, Europe, in yeah, Western West, Europe. And, yeah. and even in the, in the 18th century, um, I think that our age of marriage is only now catching up to their average age of marriage. Um, because they were getting married in their mid to late 20s very frequently because um, you had to like be self-sufficient. So maybe we have now, but like 20th century marriage norms were actually earlier than um, 18th century marriage norms. Because, I mean, I think we still have a state or two where you can, where the age of consent is, can be 13 in certain circumstances. Which is freaking weird, but yet, like, and, like, people tried to change those laws, like, last year, and there was pushback, which astounds me. And it but was yeah. like New Jersey. Yes, it wasn't It wasn't bad. like Tennessee. It was like New Jersey. <laughs> which you know? is weird and gross and bad. New Jersey. I think Florida also. I think it's still 14 in a lot of places. And it was 14 in a lot of places, like, historically for a very long time. And you know the reason for that mm. was? Was because that was the age to, that you could legally enter the convent. Oh. Oh. So that was the age of consent that they had with you could be 14 to enter a convent and, like, make a lifelong commitment. And so like, eh, well, okay, I guess we'll use it for sex. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, and I think that amongst the nobility, right. it was different because the nobility had different reasons for getting married, uh, which involved yes. a lot more like political alliances and they were dealing with a lot more inheritance stuff that they had to keep track of. And so commonly you could get betrothed very young, but I think even amongst the nobility, they were not getting most of them, most of them, the vast majority were still not getting married until their late teens at And it was still considered like... It's still considered weird because they still had a concept of like, that's kind of young to be getting married and having sex, don't you think? Like, mm, kind of weird. Anyway, any other comments? 
So we are uh, running to the end of our episode, and as is tradition, Cat Sebastian, we ask our glamorous guest stars to come up with a bit of world building uh, for our fantasy world. What have you got for us? Okay, I want the fantasy world to have free, reliable, shame-free birth control. My, my section of the world actually already has that, because that's... Wonderful. Oh, wait. Okay, so I'll go, I'm going to come up with something else then. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yes, Marshall does. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. The the people who have the children, the person like the p- person in whose uterus the child is gestated, yeah, does not have to be the same person who raises yes. the child. Okay. So there's like, I want shame free fostering. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We we danced around. So I, that I, idea think, a I think I think I think we can. In some in some ways, that's wrapped yeah, in did. with our thirteen families Shit. a little okay. bit because they're a community <laughs> okay. raised. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, 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 this is awesome. fine. This is fine. We love this. <laughs> that's why we've already. We, we love both of these things, and like, we love them so if, you're, much. if you're happy with these, yeah. Okay. If you're happy okay. With these, like, <laughs> you can also you, have to give. <laughs> listen, you can also give us something completely unrelated to sex if you want to. So if you've just always wanted something, yeah. <laughs> that's what you want okay. in the world. Okay. That's what you want to see no, those are the, the two things I want. Those are like <laughs> those are my two wish list items. Congratulations <laughs> for <a> society. <laughs> here, here they are, Cat Sebastian, on, on a, a silver platter with a bow tie on them, just for you. <laughs> no, but I think that it's good to sort of like kind of renew the idea that those are the things that we have. Those are the things that are important for uh, for us to have in this fantasy setting. And I'm sure that Rowena, like Marshall mentioned that his uh, Mediterranean fantasy people have birth control, but I don't think that you and I have come up with birth no, control for ours. No, we, we do have, so do you we do have do that? trade that exists. Um, so, we do have and trade. I think that my people were so, really uh, trade partners with Marshall. So I'm guessing that this is p- potentially becoming a, a potential trade good. I think so, yeah. I mean, there's gonna be several different kinds so yeah, great, cool. I'm sure we can come up with something uh, a little bit. Let's see, trade goods, and I think that I'm going to have something related to a plant for mine because there shouldn't be just one am, kind of. Thing. I am so right. there should be like different. I methods. am so glad that you didn't go with related to the goats, and it ended up being like a special goat of- intestine. <laughs> No, 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 no. I thought about it briefly. I was like, well, my people are like nomads. Should I do something with the goats? Nah. Because they're, again, they're like a desert culture. And so like they don't have good methods of uh, preserving animal goods. As a different thing, maybe one of the cultures has a way to avoid sexually transmitted diseases or just are a natural immunity or something like that where it just doesn't exist. I don't like natural immunity. Natural immunity, yeah. But like... yeah. But a, a good, convenient way to deal with it—that it's—that it's. I no, I think I think I'm just gonna give them the the Roman plant thing, but it's going to be more rare and not easily domesticated, and so it'll be harder for them to hunt it to extinction because it'll just be like a plant that you find out in the desert sometimes. Um, so therefore, it's probably related to probably religious stuff or like ceremonial usage rather than being able to make it a, a normal kind of everyday thing. Or we can just blanket decide that in our world, like, gross sexually... Everybody has access. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or STDs no, that, that don't exist. That we can also decide that, yeah, that, that these diseases don't exist. Like, there's no syphilis that, that makes you, you know, eventually degenerate and go crazy. It's just not there. It can just not be a thing. I think let's hold off on deciding yes, that a, until we have... This would be a good question um, for Freya. The medicine episode. That's true. Yeah. Ooh. And we're yeah. going to have a medicine episode soon, aren't we? We are, have, we are having a medicine episode coming up very soon with another glamorous guest star. So let's hold off on making any like dramatic decisions about diseases <laughs> until we do that. Man, cool, yes, but everybody has access to birth control in the fantasy world. Yay, great, Yay. good. Cat, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for saying all the smart things. Everybody, go buy Cat Sebastian's books. They are very queer. They are very good. They are full of found families, and I like them a lot. Tell us some titles. Yes, I was gonna say, Kat, please tell us like where where should readers oh. start? What what books would you tell them? Like you have to pick this one up. I really liked It Takes Two to Tumble. How about Hither Page, which Ugh. is a it's like it's a nineteen forties murder village, like Agatha Christie, but gay type of Love it. mystery <laughs> romance. 
And Hither Page is a reference to the Christmas Carol, Good King Wenceslas, right? Yes. Which is the gayest Christmas Christmas Carol. It is. No, it's super gay. It's basically, it's, gay. it's like, it's basically a fanfic like, about yeah, it is. No, it, is. It's, it has always been my favorite Christmas Carol because it's the gayest Christmas Carol. Uh, it has right. excellent energy. Yeah. It really does. It really does. Anyway, thank you again for joining us. This has thank been you. wonderful. You are a delight. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on April 1st. This is not a joke. And we'll be joined by, yes, another glamorous guest star. Visiting us from my other podcast is the very wise and insightful Freya Mosk, who will be talking to us about medicine, which is great timing, honestly, because we very nearly just eliminated a whole category of diseases. Freya! Come save us from ourselves. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter and Tumblr as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. Here's your cool fact of the day. In the 15th century, Chinese women used dildos made of lacquered wood with textured surfaces, and sometimes they were buried with them, which is, honestly, a mood. <laughs>